What's going on, Keith? How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Fine. Uh, I'm sorry to hear what happened to you on Saturday. I thought we were going to record on Saturday, and then I knew you had your friend's birthday, so I hope that you had a good time, and then I also hope that no one, nothing uh, serious happened to you on Saturday. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And now we're back here today on a makeup session on Sunday, Keith. So welcome to another episode of the uh, Dodgers, Lakers, Patriots, and Rams podcast. I'm your host, Laura Antonio. Today, my good friend and my co-host, Keith Jacobs, who's an analyst on my podcast, will be with me today as we do three different segments with the MLB All-30 preview, which we'll start off with today. And then with the NFL, we're going to add a Pro Bowl recap. We were originally going to do a Pro Bowl preview, but since we couldn't do it Yesterday, we're going to recap the Pro Bowl and do an early preview of Super Bowl 53, and then we will do a, a full-on preview of Super Bowl 53 with the, with the score predictions and the player spotlights and all that on Thursday. And then on the NBA, we will preview NBA Sunday and see what goes on there. So, Keith, that, if that sounds good to you, that's what we're going to do today. So, first but, off, yeah. let's start off with the uh, – 2019 season preview of the all 30 MLB preview with my Los Angeles Dodgers and your New York Mets. Let's start with the Dodgers and talk about the signing of AJ Pollock and Keith, tell me what you think about that signing and what does this mean for the Dodgers going forward and adding AJ Pollock if he's healthy? Well, I think it's a great signing. Um, You know, the thing about it is that I like it is that, you know, it's a, it's a high, it's a uh, low risk, high reward type of signing. You know, he's one of those guys that, when he's healthy, has proven 20 home run power. He can steal bases. Uh, he plays spectacular defense in the outfield. Obviously, his big problem over these last couple of years has been staying healthy. He has missed just a, a an absolute bevy of games. I believe last year he missed a, over 120. I'll have to look that up to be exactly sure. Let's see. Last year, oh no, excuse me, I'm thinking of 2016. So in 2016, he played just 12 games, and then in 2017, he played only 112 and 113. But I do like the signing. Obviously, it adds uh, a lot more depth to the outfield, and obviously some um, some really really nice uh, switching in and out of the lineups that you can do. You can really mix and match well with this. Yeah, I mean. I didn't think the Dodgers were going to get A.J. Pollock because I was expecting Chris Taylor and Kike to be in the lineup every day. But now, with A.J. Pollock now being the starting center fielder for the Dodgers, it changes things at second base. Expect Chris Taylor to get most of the starts at second base this year. And also, Kike Hernandez should get starts at second base, too, when the season starts as well. I could agree with you on that one. Um, I'm kind of envisioning right now with Pollock um, that – I feel like this is going to be one of those situations with him where, in may, you know, maybe you'll see the first month or so, maybe a month and a half, you'll take it slow, get him kind of acclimated to the team a little bit, get him acclimated to getting back to a full-time schedule. Um, I, I don't really expect him to be in the lineup every single day uh, to start off the first month of the season. And then obviously as he's able to show uh, his health and prove that he'll be good for this season, I pretty much expect the outfield full-time to look something like any combination of, uh, Pollock, Bellinger, and Verdugo if he's able to prove himself with Chris Taylor at a second base. Yeah, I, I have that outfield too. It's going to be Bellinger in left, Pollock in center, Verdugo in right, Chris Taylor in center, and then if you want to put both of them in the lineup, give Pollock a day off, then I definitely will put Kike in left and uh, Cody Bellinger in uh, center. I agree, and that's why I like this signing so much. You have the ability to mix and match any way you want to. You can, uh, you know, you can get Kike playing time at second base, left field. You can do the same thing with Chris Taylor, mix and match the outfield. And it also lengthens the lineup, too, because Pollock's a guy who not only has that 30-plus stolen base speed, but he's also got that 20-plus home run power where you can switch him between that two spot. You could throw him in the 5-6 hole or even throw him down a little bit deeper into the lineup to give it uh, that length on the back end. I see A.J. Pollock as the number five hitter for the Dodgers goal. I mean, to start the season, I expect A.J. Pollock to be our number five hitter for the Dodgers. And then let's also talk about the dumbest offseason move for the Dodgers as well. I know A.J. Pollock is an upgrade for the Dodgers, but trading Yasiel Puig is going to come back to hurt the Dodgers. I found that to be an incredibly interesting trade, too. Um, I can understand getting rid of Matt Kemp, older player, uh, bigger contract, and 
you know, he's probably going to demand a lot more money and it's just going to plug up holes for guys like Verdugo to come through. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that last year we saw Puig start to turn a corner and he started to show that that power potential when he's able to get his swing right. And, you know, it, it's it's just interesting because he's still kind of in the prime of his career. He's still running, you know, he's still doing well. And um, I mean, obviously they had a log jam of guys to get rid of, but I thought him being the one to take the fall was a little interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, with the Dodgers, that being said, when they traded Puig, it freed up a lot of cap space, a lot of money. They went under the luxury tax. And then um, the biggest offseason move for the Dodgers, I think, was they kept David Freeze, extending Clayton Kershaw, signing Joe Kelly. I love that signing because it lengthens the bullpen and it puts pressure off of Kenley Jansen. And I like the A.J. Pollock signing, too, because like what you said, it gives the Dodgers the opportunity to mix and match. And sometimes you could put Jock Peterson in there. But I don't see Jock Peterson starting in left field. It's going to be Cody Bellinger's do- job to start in left field, though. Like we, I agree. I agree. I think right now I, I look at Jock Peterson as a fifth outfielder. And look, me and you have talked about this before. There is absolutely nothing wrong with having a guy like Jock Peterson with 20 home run power coming off the bench as a nice bat to throw up there against right-handed pitching. There's nothing wrong with that as a fifth outfielder. But he's, he's too inconsistent to be able to get in their full-time production right now. Yeah, I could agree. He's a good player. He has what it takes to be an everyday player. I know he has it, but he's just got to show it. He's just – he's not very consistent with the swings that he takes against lefties. But, I mean, he's only a one-tool player. 2015 was his best breakout year when he was a rookie. But since that season, he's starting to – he's been regressing ever since. He has been regressing, and you know he's he like you said he's becoming a one-dimensional player with a, a power guy, and you know again those are good guys to have on your team as far as you know filling out bench depth is concerned. But I really thought from that uh, from that rookie year that we saw we were going to see even further progression. You know I kind of expect sophomore slumps out of a lot of guys, but I mean his swing just got completely out of whack, way too big. He had absolutely no feel against lefties. And, you know, now he's kind of put himself into a position where he's buried himself on the depth chart. Um, I mean, um, I think, I think if you look at it, a uh, jock is more, is not a, uh, jock is not jock is a, uh, it's, not a I mean Jock Peterson's only a one-dimensional player like you said and um, now with that being said with the Dodgers um, now let's predict their 25-man roster so now um, what I have it now since the Pollock signing with the pitching standpoint I put Caleb Ferguson starting in AAA because uh, I think I think he would need more experience in AAA and then Julio Arias is going to be on an innings limit so to begin the 2019 season for the Dodgers, the starting rotation is going to be Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Hinjin Ryu, Rich Hill, and Kenta Maeda. I like that starting rotation also. Um, I do want to see maybe toward the end of the year if uh, you know they're willing to throw Urias to have a couple of starts mixed in there because I do like also the idea of Maeda coming out of the bullpen. We talked about this once before. His stuff seems to elevate out of the bullpen, obviously he's got more experience than uh, than a guy like Urias as a starter and also Urias is on that innings restriction. I, I could see Urias maybe starting off in AAA, kind of get him slowly coming along, and then maybe have a really nice core amount of innings and in maybe that summer stretch. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, you know, you got to save Urias down the stretch. I mean, they're going to do what they did with Walker Bueller this past season when he was coming off Tommy John surgery before he came into the, into the league. And then when, and then he was on an innings limit last year for Bueller. And then now Walker Bueller is expected to pitch over 200 innings this year. And then Urias, I think will be in the rotation at some point during the 2019 season, but to start the year, he's going to start in AAA to be at, get acclimated slowly to be a starting pitcher again. Which is what I think they should do. You need to groom them, um, you know, just because next year you're probably going to have a hole when, uh, when, when Rich Hill leaves. And, you know, you're going to want Urias to obviously be plugged in as that, that third starter behind Bueller and Kershaw based off of that potential that he has, which is just absolutely through the roof. He's one of my favorite young players on the Dodgers right now. 
Yeah. Were you talking about Urias or were you talking about Bueller? Urias, Urias, yeah. I think I I think Walker Bueller. I think both Walker Bueller and Julio Urias are my favorite young pitchers on the Dodgers right now. They are. They they're looking to be the future one two of that rotation and. Um, you know, obviously being behind a guy like Kershaw, you get a really good sense of what being a number one is truly like. So they're they're in a great spot right now with the fact that they're able to pitch on a great roster that's going to allow them to grow in a, in a positive direction. But also they have a guy like Kershaw as kind of a, a, a teaching point, both visually and being able to speak to them as young guys. For sure. And now um, let's predict what the bullpen's going to look like. Um, Ross Stripling's going to be the long reliever and innings eater for the for the first part of the bullpen that I'm going to predict, and it's going to be Tony Sangrani, Scott Alexander, the two lefties will be part of that, and um, then then Sangrani, Alexander, then Baez, then Fields, uh, Fields, Floro, Kelly, and Jansen. I pretty much have the same bullpen. Um, I do expect, uh, like I said, I do kind of expect Urias early on in the season to maybe start off in uh, in AAA just to kind of slowly get him along. I see his kind of his core innings coming along as a middle reliever kind of spot starter um, in a, excuse me, long reliever kind of spot starter coming in like the crux of the summer. So with that being said, I think that him and Stripling will kind of be able to split that role of the long relief guy, depending on obviously the innings that they've thrown over the course of the weeks. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Stripling was used as a starter last year because of all the, it, it was the, the rotation last year was depleted with injuries. And then, but I, I think Ross Stripling's better off as a reliever. I do too. I do too. I think he's much more effective as a reliever to be completely honest with you. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. There are some guys that are just like that. And, uh, you know, he, he's a good kid with a good arm and, you know, he's obviously got the experience of pitching, uh, you know, with high inning amounts and, you know, with high pitch counts. So he's, he's a perfect candidate to have a long relief as a, a long relief guy. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, I think, I think Caleb Ferguson would be in the mix for it too. Like we saw from him last year, a 21 year old kid that could be a very good, effective left-handed specialist, but it wouldn't hurt for Caleb Ferguson to get more experience in AAA this year to start the season. So, it could go either way, but I mean, I expect the Dodgers to go with an eight-man bullpen to begin the season. I, you know, I, I agree with you with the sense that you would think it would be it would be good for uh, Alexander Ferguson, excuse me, to start down and you know a little bit and get a little bit more experience. But I think it's become much more effective now uh, when you're using bullpens to be able to create those matchups. And in order to do that, I think it's absolutely essential to have two lefties in your bullpen. And like I said, I think that Uri is, is going to start off the year uh, down in AAA to kind of slowly bring him along. So I like the idea of having Ferguson and Singrani as the two lefties. I kind of expect uh, Ferguson to start up, obviously, barring the fact that he does well in AAA. I mean, excuse me, in spring training. Yeah, I mean, but I'm saying is that I, 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 I'm predicting that Scott, Scott Alexander is going to be on the opening day roster too. I, there's gonna, it, our, the Dodgers roster is going to feature two lefties out of the pen. It should feature two lefties out of the pen. I think that's extremely important. Um, you know, whether, you know, whoever you really want to pick, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a good pick either way. Obviously they're both very, uh, they're both very good guys to have in that bullpen. And I, I really like the depth that I see with this Dodger bullpen. I think that they actually have a lot of really, really good arms in here. Obviously we talk about Joe Kelly. I love that signing. And, um, I, I think that's one of their major strengths that kind of gets a little bit overlooked just because the one big flash guy is uh, is Kenley Jansen. Yeah, and I think Dylan Floro is a guy that was an underrated player that made a name for himself in our bullpen last year. And I think Dylan Floro is going to be a good high leverage reliever too. A healthy Josh Fields will make this bullpen very nasty. And then mm. Pedro Baez is a guy that really reinvented himself. Yeah, Pedro Baez is a Pedro Baez is an excellent story, and um, you know he's always had the arm to be able to be an extremely effective reliever. That's never been doubted, but it was really for him about you know being able to find that consistency around the strike zone. And, and once he was able to do that, he he looked fantastic, especially in the postseason. He had a one five nine in uh, in eleven and a third innings during the postseason. Yeah, to, for sure. And then let's break down the position player depth. Um, I mean, with our catching position, so I do expect K- 
Kiber Ruiz and Will Smith to come up at some point in the 2019 season or even 2020. But as of right now, and what I expect to happen with our catching positions, Russell Martin will be the primary guy to start, and then Austin Barnes will be the secondary guy. Absolutely no complaints with that. And I think depending on the uh, the production of Kiber Ruiz and Will Smith, we could see them maybe in August. We could see them in July. We could see them in September, depending on how they're doing. But uh, I think having uh, Martin and Barnes to start off is the two more reliable options here. Yeah, so – but, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I really think Russell Martin's going to make an impact in his first season back with the Dodgers. Austin Barnes is a guy as well. I mean, Austin Barnes wasn't great last year, but expect Austin Barnes to have a good bounce-back season this year. And I think playing behind a guy like Russell Martin will take some pressure off of it because Martin is a guy that is a, is a commanding presence at the catcher position. And he's, I think, is – he was the guy they, you know, they really wanted to bring in. We talked about it, how much I loved that signing. Bringing in a veteran guy who knows how to handle a pitching staff. He's hit at a high level, and he's going to be able to, to carry a lot of the load and allow Austin Barnes to kind of just be able to go out there and just play fluidly. So, I, you know, like I've said before, I, I really love the signing of Russell Martin. I mean, yeah, I, I do too. I, I used to see Russell Martin play. When I was a kid, when he was a Dodger, when he was when he made his major league debut, and uh, I mean, he will provide that bridge for Kiber Ruiz and Will Smith, our two young catchers that I'm very excited about. But Ruiz hasn't had AAA experience yet, so I think it's gonna the safe bet is that Kiber Ruiz is gonna start in AAA. I I think that's what they should really do with him, uh, just to start off. I mean, obviously, you want to throw great talent and you know get him the cup of coffee that they need at the big league level, but. It's it's a much more difficult jump than a lot of people realize going from double A to the big leagues as opposed to triple A to the big leagues. Because when you get to triple A, you're seeing a lot of these what what I call quadruple A guys, which are they're good enough to be, you know, be able to make big league rosters, but they're not going to have the unbelievable success. But they're still big league pitching. You'll still see that that really good location, a little bit sharper breaking stuff. They're more refined. And I think it's important for Ruiz's game, especially offensively, to be able to go down to AAA and see that for himself for a while. Yeah, because he, he was good in AA last year. And uh, I don't know if you saw Kiba Ruiz in the Fall Stars game this year. I, don't know. I did not. And then you, I thought you saw him on the Futures game as well. I, I did not, actually. I did not. I was just curious. But now let's go on to our infielders. And our starting infield group, I expect, I told you this before, it's going to be Max Muncy at first base, Chris Taylor at second, Corey Seager at short, and Justin Turner at third. I have no arguments against that infield. Obviously, we talked about their ability now with signing A.J. Pollock to be able to switch between Chris Taylor and uh, Kike Hernandez, whether one wants to go play left or second, whatever the case may be. They have really nice depth. Um, having Kike as a fifth infielder is excellent. David Freeze is a guy with unbelievable experience all around. And then, of course, you're able to throw Cody Bellinger at first base whenever you need to. Yeah, I don't expect Max Muncy to go to second base. That's why I, 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 I have my infield for the Dodgers to begin the 2019 season is Muncy, Taylor, Seager, and Turner. Yeah, I think you need to keep Muncie at first base and you need to keep Bellinger in the outfield. You have to have the both of them in the lineup at the same time in some way to be able to lengthen that lineup. And Muncie obviously proved last year that he is, you know, that he's going to be able to be a big impact bat. So I love having him in the lineup uh, full time along with Bellinger to be able to lengthen it. Yeah, for sure. And then um, I think. Uh... And then my infield reserves are David Freeze and Kike Hernandez. Yeah, those are my infield reserves too. Both guys with both guys that are, you know, being a, they can go plug into any position. Obviously, Kike we know can move around more. You know, Freeze you can throw in at first base. You know, first base if you want a better matchup against the lefty. Uh, with you know, maybe give Muncie a day off. You can throw him in at third for Turner. You could put Kike just about every anywhere. So they, they have some really, really nice infield depth this year. Yeah, they do for sure. And then our outfit, my outfield depth, I have it like this. Starting in right field is Alex Verdugo. Starting in center field, AJ Pollock. And starting in left. I, did, I, I agree with you. I also, like I said, I think that to start off, 
Uh, I, I don't really see Pollock playing every single day. We'll probably see maybe three to four games a week to start off just to get him adjusted. So you'll see any sort of outfield combination from uh, Verdugo, Pollock, and Bellinger to, uh, you know, Taylor, Bellinger, and Verdugo to Hernandez, Pollock, and, you know, anything like that. The great thing about the Dodgers is that they have so much depth, and now that Pollock is there, it's added even more depth. Though, So they're having impact bats switching in and out of the outfield pretty much on a – you know, pretty much on a cycle, and it's it's really, really going to help them a lot, especially in the stretch run. Absolutely. And then my reserve outfield will be Jock Peterson, and then Kike Hernandez will also be a reserve outfielder as well. Got the same thing. Have no complaints about that. Yeah, and then um, now let's break down the 2019 Dodgers opening day lineup, which will be come March 28th. This is the group that I, if you agree with me, this will be the – Starting lineup for the Dodgers come March 28th against the Arizona Diamondbacks, assuming that Clayton Kershaw is the opening day starter against uh, Zach Greinke of the Arizona Diamondbacks. So um, leading off in second base is Chris Taylor. Batting second at shortstop is Corey Seager. Batting third at third base is Justin Turner. Batting fourth at first base is Max Muncy. Batting fifth in center field, A.J. Pollock. Batting sixth in left field, Cody Bellinger. Batting seventh at catcher, Russell Martin. And batting eighth in right field, Alex Verdugo. And batting ninth and on the mound, Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. Yeah, you pretty much nailed it. You got that exactly you Got that exactly right, man. You nailed it. And um, now that we touched on the Dodgers, and now you said that I nailed what their opening day lineup is and what their depth chart is, let's move on to the New York Mets and talk about what – was their biggest offseason move for the Mets this season? I think that the biggest offseason move that they got was, I, I think, a couple of things. Number one, the things that they've been doing with their bullpen are absolutely fantastic. Obviously, getting Diaz is huge. I love re-signing Famil- uh, Familia, and I love the signing of lefty Justin Wilson that they performed two years, $10 million dollars. Uh, flame-throwing lefty, 95 to 97 with the fastball, big overhand curveball, uh, a lot of experience. He's had some issues with his walk rate over the last couple of years, uh, but he's obviously a guy that is a, a veteran guy and now gives them uh, two lefties in their bullpen. Um, and then obviously being able to get Wilson Ramos, who's one of the better offensive catchers in the league. That's been such a that that's been such an inconsistent whole uh, inconsistent um, spot for the Mets over the last few years, obviously with the injuries to Darno, uh, the, the underperformance of Kevin Plowecki, they just really haven't had a solid offensive catcher for a, a good amount of time now. And I love getting Ramos, obviously Cano is great. And um, you know, these moves will obviously pan out over time, but I, I love what Brody Van Wagenen has been doing. He's been very aggressive and it's awesome to see. Oh, of course. I mean, Sorry if this is off topic, but, I mean, uh, my prayers are out to Sandy Alderson, the former GM of the New York Mets. Glad oh, yes. cancer-free. And, um, and, and tell me about Sandy Alderson now. Is he still part of the New York Mets organization? I, I you know, I, I want his health to be absolutely 100% before he gets back in any involvement. Um, I think, obviously – what I, I think, obviously, people are going to fall in love with the aggressive style. Uh, that Brody Van Wagenen is showing right now. If this turns out to work, I really don't see a reason why they would need to bring Alderson back into the conversation. Um, Obviously, he would be great to have as an advisor, but I think with the way that it's being set up right now with uh, their former GM Omar Minaya being the current advisor to Van Wagenen, if this tandem and this team that they're putting together, you know, fits and they click and it's working out then i i say you know if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah i mean you know i think this is a i think you know um brody van wagen's done a good job rebuild making the mets better again and if you look at the new york mets i mean this was this was i think a uh i think the direction that they want to go in i think they want to go into like being a team that's going to compete in the NL East again. I think this is a team that's going to be very, very good this year. 
I think they will be good. I, I'm nowhere near ready to go out on a limb and say that they're going to be able to compete for that number one spot in the NL East, but I, I certainly don't see a reason why this team can't win from any anywhere to 85 to 88 games. I think that they have, obviously, with the, the pitching rotation, they're going to be perfectly fine. Health is a huge concern, but, you know, barring any major – injuries or dismantlings i don't see why this team can't really compete for a wild card spot absolutely but i mean now let's also talk about the dumbest offseason move for the new york mets this year obviously is you guys non-tendering wilmer flores um i i you know i love wilmer but i think that that kind of ran his course just because he was one of those guys that I, I don't think ever really truly grew into the potential that we'd always heard about. He's a big power guy against lefties. Um, but honest, to be completely honest with you, he's always been a little sloppy defensively. Um, he's always been very inconsistent offensively, especially against right-handed pitching. And, uh, you know, he's a fan favorite and he'll forever be in, he'll forever be one of my favorite young guys that I, you know, followed, but I, I think it was time. I think it was time. Yeah, and for me, the biggest offseason move for the Mets is uh, is signing Edwin Diaz and Robbie Cano, and then, and I think this Mets team is set to go. And then let's also talk about the New York Mets official opening day roster. So let me start off with the rotation. I think it's going to be DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, Steven Matz, and Jason Vargas. And then the bullpen for the New York Mets will go from Jacob Ram, Seawald, uh, Oswald, Smith, uh, Bachelor, Gazelman, Lugo, Familia, and Diaz with the starting catchers, Wilson Ramos and Travis Darno. And then the starting infield group will be at first base is Todd Frazier. At second base, Robinson Cano. At shortstop, Ahmed Rosario. And at third base, Jed Lowry. And I love the Jed Lowry signing. Um, I have the same rotation as you, Noah. No changes there. Obviously, I'm I'm hoping and praying that that rotation is able to stay intact health wise. Um, as far as the bullpen goes, uh, I have I have Jacob Rame on that. I have Oswald, Bachelor, Gazelman, Lugo, Amelia, and Diaz. Um, catching wise, Ramos and Travis Darno is the backup. I hope he stays healthy. At first base, uh, I at first base I'm gonna go say that Peter Alonzo is going to win the job in, in spring training. I really hope that's what happens. Who's I that love again? this guy's hitting ability. I love his power. Um, uh, Peter, um, yeah. Peter Alonzo. I would not rule him out, too. I, I wouldn't rule him out. I really hope he does win the job. I would love to see him come up and make an impact. Um, Robinson Cano at second base, obviously. Ahmed Rosario at short. And then Jed Lowry at third. So what's your starting infield again? My starting infield again is uh, Ramos behind the plate with Darno as the backup catcher. Um, Peter Alonso at first with Robbie Cano at second, Ahmed Rosario at short, and Jed. I Lowry agree with at that third. too. I think Dominic Smith and Todd Frazier will be the uh, fourth and fifth. Will be the fifth and sixth infielders, and I know Dominic Smith has versatility, so he'll play some outfield too. My starting outfield group is Nemo, Lagares, and Conforto, with Jeff McNeil. And Dominic Smith in the outfield too. So the Mets will go with a seven-man pen with a five-man bench. I have uh, Conforto in left, Lagares in center, Nimmo in right, uh, with McNeil and Keon Broxton will be able to win a job as a as a bench guy. Also, and this gets a little bit lost here. They did sign Rajay Davis to a minor league contract. Don't be entirely surprised if the if the speedy veteran what is able to make his way on this roster. Uh, they the Mets were able to sign um, Rajay Davis to a minor league deal this year, so I wouldn't be generally surprised if yeah, he was able I mean, to make the roster. If you want to give Jeff, uh, on the Jeff outfield side. some time, some more time in the minors. I mean, now I'm, that I could see Rajay Davis and Keon Braxton as the fourth and fifth outfielders. Which wouldn't, you know, that, that would be fine. And I would, I, I personally would love to see McNeil up in the big league roster. I think that he's proven enough. Uh, last year, he proved what a, what a really, really nice peer hitter he is. He reminded me 
a lot of a uh, of a young Daniel Murphy. So I hope that he's able to stay up at the big league level and get some consistent action because I think he could be a really really nice top of the. So order I changed my mind. Who starts at first base? It's going to be Peter Alonso with uh with Todd Frazier and Dominic Smith as the reserve infielders. But now with that being said. I changed my mind on who the opening day lineup of the New York Mets will be to begin the 2019 season. So I have leading off in right field, Brandon Nemo. Batting second at shortstop, Ahmed Rosario. Batting third in left field, Michael Conforto. Batting fourth at second base, Robinson Cano. Batting fifth, the first baseman, Peter Alonso. Batting sixth. At third base, Jed Lowry. Batting seventh, the catcher, Wilson Ramos. And batting eighth in center field, Juan Lagares. And batting ninth and on the mound, Jacob DeGrom. Okay. Um, I have uh, I have Brandon Nimmo leading off. I have Jed Lowry in the number two spot at third base. I have Robinson Cano batting in the third spot at second base. I have... Wilson Ramos batting fourth at the catcher's position. Michael Conforto batting fifth at, in left field. I have uh, Peter Alonso batting sixth at first base. I have Juan Lagares batting seventh in center field. And I have Ahmed Rosario batting eighth at shortstop. And then obviously Jacob DeGrom, and again, where opening do you say day Juan starting catcher for the New York Mets. I have him batting seventh, uh, just in front of um, so just in front of Ahmed Rosario. I think he's going to be higher than that, and Wilson Ramos will bat seventh. I would like to see Rosario higher than that, but I do also believe that um, you know him being at the lower part of the lineup it adds that really nice speed element uh, with a guy like Nemo at the top who can run a little bit. And then having a guy at the bottom of the order where it's kind of like you can have a speed guy transition from the pitcher into another speed guy at the top of the lineup. So it's eight, nine, one. You have that really good speed gap between um, between right. Rosario. So and now, um, now um, let's also talk about this. Um, let's also talk about here with the Mets and also Cespedes. And what's the plan for Cespedes? Is he going to? Start the year on the DL, and when do you think his timetable is for him to return? I think the ideal plan right now is the the ideal plan is probably late August. Um, obviously, it's a it's a very serious surgery that he's recovering from with double heel surgery. Right now, the ideal plan is that he'll play late in the season, um, but it's looking more likely that he's probably going to miss this year, and they'll have a shot at getting him back. Uh, sometime early next year. Um, you know, again, this is one of those surgeries that's a little bit unpredictable just because it is your heel. So, you know, it's it's uh, one of those things that you'll have to watch how much pressure you're putting on your foot at a constant basis, the rigorousness of your workouts on a daily basis. It's it's just – it's a timing issue right now for Cespedes. He's really got to have good feel on his uh, on his recovery. So, uh, we'll see. I'd love to see him. Yeah, back I mean, in I August, don't think it's very likely, but very likely. even if Cespedes comes back, I think he's going to lose his starting job to Conforto and to Nemo and to Lagares. I I think that I I think that they'll give him a shot. Um, I would love to see that happen, uh, just because that would mean that the growth of Michael Conforto and Brandon Nemo have are going in a positive direction. And me and you talked about that. We think that this is going to be a breakout year for Michael Conforto. So obviously, if Cespedes comes back and he doesn't break into the outfield, then that means that that prediction has come true. Um, again, for the money that we're paying him, I would like to see him start in the outfield just because when he is healthy, he's an impact bat and one of the better arms in the outfield in the game. But you know, if if you're not going to be healthy and there's other guys that are putting up major yeah, production, yeah. So I think then, if when Cespedes you know, so comes it. back, I would expect him to be the starting center fielder for the uh, for the New York Mets, or I could, or just put, or just move Michael Conforto to center and put Cespedes in left, so that Juan Lagares is a reserve outfielder. Yeah, I think I would rather have uh, I, I would rather have Cespedes at a corner spot 
just because when he played center field, I can fondly remember him playing center field and not being incredibly comfortable out there, especially during the World Series a few years ago. He kind of looked a little bit off as far as his judgment of routes on baseballs. And plus, I don't really want him covering the ground that a center fielder has to cover uh, coming off of the Yeah, I would agree with that. Surgery. Just put Conforto in left field when Cespedes comes back. But right now, it's Juan Lagares' job in center field. And I hope he's able to come out and, and win that job from Keon Broxton. Uh, he should be able to. I would love to see Juan come into a zone a little bit this year as a hitter. Obviously, we know about the defensive ability, and I want him to stay healthy and everything. But if he can just kind of get that bat to come around, again, I don't need him to hit 320 or 330. But if he's a nice 280, 285 guy uh, out of that center field spot in the lower part of the order, I think that's very ideal. So next week on Thursday – on Thursday, Keith, for our next MLB uh, All-30 preview for the 2019 season, we're going to go stay in the National League West, and we're going to talk about the Giants and Padres seasons. And uh, now let's talk right. about other right. around baseball. To it. So let's start off with the JT Real Muto potential trade with the Padres or the Dodgers. I predict JT Real Muto is going to go to the Padres because I know the, the Marlins want Francisco Mejia in return. I, I think that he's going to end up going to the Padres too. Um, I kind of think that adding uh, adding Russell Martin as far as depth was concerned maybe took them out of the Real Muto sweepstakes along with the absolutely ridiculous asking price that the Marlins have been posting for the last few months. Um, I, I believe that it's going to come down to definitely him going to the um, – to the San Diego Padres. Now, obviously we know Tatis is untouchable at this point, um, which is absolutely, absolutely what it should be. But a hypothetical trade that I do have for you, which could be incredibly interesting. I found this on Twitter, a hypothetical trade. The Dodgers would get Real Muto and they would give up uh, Dustin May, Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz. If that was offered no, to you I and you not. were Andrew Friedman, would you accept Okay, and, uh, and, I, and I totally understand why. I think giving up a guy like Kiebert Ruiz would be unwise. Um, as talented as JT Real Muto is, I think yes, you have to Kiebert keep Kiebert Ruiz, Ruiz, on the Ruiz for the sake roster. of your He's future. He's not going to be ready to start at catcher just yet. Maybe at some point later in the season or maybe 2020. That's what I'm kind of thinking the projected timeline is for Kiebert Ruiz. But I just don't see – I just don't expect the Dodgers to trade for JT Real Muto. This asking price is ridiculous. And like I said, I do predict JT Real Muto is going to the uh, San Diego Padres. And I think a trade with the Padres for Real Muto should be finalized either this week or next. It, it, should, be, it should be finalized, obviously, like you said, with uh, Francisco Mejia being kind of the centerpiece in that trade. Um, you know, listen, getting, you know, Real, getting Real Muto in that, in that, uh, in that division is obviously going to be a problem, but him going to the Padres, they're still a growing team. So, uh, you know, him going there won't be as big of a threat. I am interested to see, though, uh, and obviously we may touch on Manny Machado. I am interested to see what sort of an impact this has on Machado wanting to at We're going to get to that right have now, a potential well, meeting with the San Diego Padres. Will Machado wear a White Sox uniform? I see Manny Machado going to the White Sox, but if he wants to play third base, I think – Going to the Padres with Manny Machado will would make sense, but next week we'll predict the, the two versions of the Padres opening day lineup with Machado and Real Muto or just with Real Muto because I'm thinking with the Padres, I think they're going to give up Austin Hedges in that trade to the Marlins. Okay, yeah, and um, I, I definitely agree with you with the idea that it's going to come down to Manny Machado wanting to play third base. My inkling has kind of been that he's always wanted to be a shortstop, which is why I kind of see him fitting in a little bit better with the White Sox, just because I think they'd be more willing to move Tim Anderson over to third in preference of Machado at shortstop. Um, so I, I and plus I, I think that the White Sox, when it comes down to it, would probably be able to offer more money than the Padres would because they have conch, uh, the Eric Cosmer had a tough first year in, uh, the Padres. Not Cosmer the year right that he now. wanted it, but I mean, I think this year Eric Cosmer is really going to light it up this year. But if you look at the Padres and their prospects, I think who's off limits in trade talks 
is Fernando Tatis Jr. and Mackenzie Gore. I, I think the both of them should be off limits. Um, I think the only way that you're trading either of them is you're getting a, a caliber player that is a superstar. That's the only way that I'm trading them. And, you know, obviously I like Real Muto, but I'm not throwing Mackenzie Gore or Fernando Tatis anywhere near for, that deal. For Mackenzie Gore this year for the Padres, when we'll talk about them next week, but I'm going to tell you right now and what you think. I predict that Mackenzie Gore is going to be the opening day starter for the Padres this year. Wow. That is wow. That's high expectations for the kid. I would love to see it. He's certainly got the uh he certainly got the opening day stuff for uh you know for him coming out of the left side. But I think if I have to look at at the San Diego Padres roster and if I have to kind of guess who would be their opening day starter, I think my money would probably go on Eric Lauer right now, maybe Robbie Erlin. Um I just think that it would they would be a little bit hesitant to throw Gore into the number one ace. I mean, that could be in the uh, Padres' perspective that they want to limit his innings. But I do think when I look at the Padres' depth chart right now, like we'll talk about this next week, I do see the the San Diego Padres moving Luis Urias to third base and putting uh and putting uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. at shortstop. But if Machado does come to the Padres, then then they keep Tatis at short and then Machado at third. And then Luis Arias is like their, their Kike Hernandez. Yeah. And that would, and I, I think that that would be a, a really, really nice infield having uh Tatis and, and Machado on the left side of the infield and having them in their lineup. And we talked about that. Fernando Tatis is going to, we think that Fernando Tatis is going to be the rookie of the year in the national league. And then having a guy like, and then having Eric Hosmer and Manny Machado behind him in the lineup to be able to give him that support Absolutely. And is, we'll talk is going to be really essential as well. When we continue our All-30 MLB preview, like you have, you have the schedule for the All-30 MLB preview, don't you, Keith? For the, for the uh, 2019 I do, season. yes, you so did next, send it to on me. On Thursday, when we are on air again, we'll discuss the, uh, the Dodgers rival Giants 2019 season outlook with the San Diego Padres. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I have it right here, and uh, I'm uh, looking forward to the breakdown of all of these teams. It I think it's going to uh, be, I think it's going to be very exciting. I think Manny Machado will either go to the White Sox or go to the San Diego Padres and stay in the National League West. I think he has a higher chance of going to the White Sox. Like I said, I think they're going to be. I, my inkling is that he wants to play shortstop. I think they'd be more willing to move. I think that the White Sox would be more willing to put Tim Anderson at third than they maybe would Fernando Tatis. Obviously, that remains to be seen. Plus, the White Sox can offer more money. Um, so, I, you know, and I think that the division, if I look at the divisions right now, I think it's a little, it would be easier for the White Sox to climb up the AL Central than it would be for the Padres to climb up yeah, the so I think, uh, NL I West think, at this current uh, moment. Machado will most likely end up with the White Sox, and most likely JT Real Muto will end up being a uh, San Diego Padre. And speaking of, of which, of another top free agent, Bryce Harper. Um, I think Bryce Harper is going to the Phillies for sure. I say that 100%. He's going to be a Philly. I, I think that it's, it's – it, it may as well be said and done and signed and delivered at this point. I, I think that there's really not much at the moment that's stopping this from happening. Obviously, the – uh, the the money is is the big issue, but I I really don't see any other team being able to swipe in there at at the last minute and being able to lure him away. At this point, it's it, it's a done deal, which is absolutely horrifying considering he's going to be tormenting the Mets for years upon years to come once again. But um, I I think at this point it's pretty much done. We just yeah have we're going to have to wait on the money, on the money amount, amount for him with the Phillies. I do see Bryce Harper going to the Phillies, but I have other. Predictions for the Philadelphia Phillies with other free agents they're going to get other than Harper. They're not going to get Machado, too, if the Phillies get Harper. I think after they land Harper, I, feel, I, I expect the Phillies to add some more pitching depth, especially to their rotation and to the bullpen. Um, I see the Phillies going after Dallas. I, see, I expect the Phillies to sign Dallas Keuchel to a big deal to pair with uh, Aaron Nola at the top of the rotation. And I expect the Phillies to, to sign Craig Kimbrell to a deal and be their closer. 
I expect them to be heavily in on the both of them, and I expect them to get Machado. Uh, excuse me, uh, Harper more so than Machado. I don't think much. I think there's maybe like a five percent chance that Machado goes to the Phillies. I think it's really more set on Harper. Um, I think depending on the deal that they want to get for Keuchel, I, I think that Keuchel would be a good investment at two years, twenty million. I think that you could get. Kimbrell, if you continue to wait out the market, you could get him on a four-year, maybe $65-$70 million deal for a reliever of his caliber and having those pieces in their, uh, on their – Absolutely, but I do – I think for that. the Phillies need a left-handed starter. I know Jake Arrieta, Aaron Nola are fine, but I kind of think they need a left-handed starter, and I think they're going to go after Dallas Keuchel, and I, and I predict the Phillies going after Craig Kimbrell, and I think this Phillies team is going to be very good this year. Oh, I think they're going to be really, really good. And I think this whole division, obviously, with the exception of the Marlins, is going to be a really, really tight race. I don't see why four of, all four of these teams being uh, the Braves, Mets, Nationals, and Phillies, I don't see why they all four of them oh, I mean, each win over this NL East races. is going to be very fun to watch this year. But also, I want to tell you, tell you this. I also sent you pictures of my worst umpires heading into the 2019 season. Although Angel Hernandez and Joe West are on the top of my list, and I wanted to get your perspective again. And why do you think Alfonso Marquez is the is the worst umpire in your opinion? One of the things that I have always been um, have always been in disdain with uh, for Alfonso Marquez, it's not really so much the fact that that I think that technically speaking he is a bad umpire. I, I've seen him call really good games. My problem with Alfonso Marquez is that he has an incredibly quick trigger, incredibly quick trigger. He's one of those guys that can just throw out players and and coaches, you know, at the snap of a finger. And I think that that shows, um, I think that that shows emotional weakness on the side of an umpire. I think as an umpire, you have to be able to, uh, you, you can't have rabbit ears. You have to be able to stay locked in mentally at all times and you can't let the pressure or the emotion of other players and coaches get to you. And I think that that that's a big problem of his, and he's, he has an incredibly quick trigger yeah, for him. And I, I, I don't respect that. He's done plenty of Dodger games. I know he does a lot of Dodger games and um, he does have a quick trigger when he's behind the plate. And I sometimes don't like his calls sometimes behind the plate because his strike zone is very small and he's just okay, but not great. He's uh, he's a decent umpire. I mean, I, he's not one of those guys that I'm going to be petitioning to have in you know in in my playoff game scenario. But I mean, he's one of those guys that you know you you get him on a on a casual Saturday afternoon at one o'clock. Absolutely, he's not, not going to be the also, worst option for you. Joe West and Angel Hernandez are the guys that take the, the, the take the game up forever. If you know by worst umpires, because Angel Hernandez, like we talked about last week, is terrible. Joe West is somebody I don't like too, but. I don't like Phil Cousy, too. He's on my list for worst umpires heading into the season. Phil Cousy is also on my list. I, I have never really been a big fan of his. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, what can you say about Joe West and, and, and oh, goodness, they're just so bad. It's like actually give, it's actually you're, putting you're me in a loss of words, words about right Angel now. Hernandez and Joe it. West. Oh goodness, they are just—they're so bad. And you know, the the fact that they're able to consistently get these big playoff games, especially Angel Hernandez. I mean, you—we saw it in that ser- in the uh, division series this year with the white, the uh, the Yankees and the Red Sox. He was absolutely atrocious. And CC Sabathia in the post game was talking about how he should not set foot anywhere near. I just uh, mean Angel Hernandez. I want him to stay away from the playoffs. I want him to stay away from the playoffs absolutely as well. He is just he, – he's atrocious. And, you know, like I mentioned with the Yankees-Red Sox game, he had four calls that he made overturned on instant replay in one game, in game three against uh, – uh, uh, with the Red Sox and the Yankees. If you don't believe me, go ahead and look that up on YouTube. It is just – it's unbearable. And yeah, it's he absolutely despicable for a big league umpire. Not just Dodger fans that don't like Angel Hernandez as an umpire. He is the worst umpire in baseball right now, and he should not be working any playoff games at all. 
Same with Joe West. No, he should not. Uh, Joe West, the I, I don't like Joe West, but the only reason I disagree with you is because of this. When he's back behind the plate, he has called some excellent games. I believe that there was a game, there was a game this year. I can't remember exactly what uh, round of the playoffs it was, but Joe West called a game where his strike zone, where his correctness of calls on the strike zone was at the 99th percentile, meaning he called one, he missed one pitch location the entire game, which is incredibly impressive considering that uh, I've known him to be just blasphemous at times behind the plate. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, and you said Phil Cuzzy's a guy that you don't like to. And I, I saw that video when Ben Zobras was telling Phil Cuzzy that you don't like. We need electronic strike zones. Do you see, Do you agree with what Ben Zobras says to Phil Cuzzy? Um, I, I agree and I disagree with it. Here's why. I agree because of the fact that it, it just seems like with a lot of these umpires, there's no feel especially at the corners and especially on those uh, on, on those stick pitches, like around below the knees a little bit, that stick fastball. It seems like there's no feel and there's absolutely no consistency whatsoever, which is why I think it's in favor of, uh, of an automatic strike zone. But I disagree in the sense that part of, and, and this is kind of my argument also with NFL refs, part of what makes sports and especially playoff sports so incredibly entertaining is the fact that there is that possibility for human error. The fact that a, a single call can change the entire momentum of a game, and now all of a sudden a team was up by two comfortably getting, you know, getting outs and going through innings. Now all of a sudden a guy misses a call, and you're, you know, you're, you're right back in it. You have a, you know, a rally, you get a couple of walks, next thing you know, you know, ground ball down the first baseline to the wall, it's a 2-2 ball game. So I think the human error while it is incredibly frustrating, it, it, it's a little, I, I guess for lack of a better term, it's sort of essential for kind of the, the momentum swing and for really yeah, a lot so of the excitement really in, like in, in professional sports. By the way. I, I don't either. He's not one of my personal favorites. Empathetic strike zone. Strike three call. I'm, yeah, I think Tom Hallian is an is a excellent umpire. I, I agree with you 100%. I think he's a very, very good umpire. He's done a lot of Mets games. Um, mostly he's done, when I've watched him do the Mets games, I've mostly watched him in the field, not so much behind the plate. Um, but I have, I, I've seen games I on TV, it, yeah. a couple of good Did games from him behind the plate. Did you see that video when he was talking to Noah Syndergaard and then he, eject, he was yelling at Terry Collins and both him and Terry Collins were, were cursing at each other? Oh, that's a great video. It was awesome. Oh, that's a great video. That's a great video. I remember that actually. I was watching that game when that happened, and uh, and then about, I believe about a couple of days later, they came out with the video of what exactly it was that Terry Collins was saying, and I I just couldn't get I over it. It was video. one of the funniest I mean, things yeah, I've ever watched Tom that man Hallian, do. I know what an umpire he is. He's my favorite umpire because. He's very empathetic when he's behind the play calling strike three, and then he's very loud. He was so loud talking to Terry Collins. I mean, I mean, Tom Hallion is just is just is just the is a very good umpire, but he was loud in that video. He was yelling at Terry Collins, and you know how animated he can be. Oh yeah, yeah, he can he he can really get you riled up. Another umpire that I like in spite of the fact that he had that really bad game with Armando Galarraga, historically, I've, I've liked Jim Joyce. I've I think Jim Joyce was an, Jim is an excellent Dodger umpire. Games. He's okay, but, but, I mean, the umpires I don't like, I talked about Mark Wagner, Jerry Lane, and C.B. Buckner. C.B. Buckner's so arrogant. I cannot stand his attitude. Oh, he no, he has a terrible attitude. He, you know, he, he sort of kind of, he he claim he kind of acts like he's all knowing and you know he you can kind of see looks on his faces when the when the managers start to kind of like kind of try to pick his brain about what his process was that it's almost like his way or the highway like his way of what he called 
is what it is. And if you don't agree with it, then you're just an idiot. Like, and also he has a terrible, terrible strike zone. Yeah. It feels like it's floating I mean, when I watch, consistently when the throughout the game. Comes on and when the regular season starts and it's opening day, I'm like, please put, don't put CB Buckner behind the plate because he'll give me a headache when he's behind the plate. Uh, he is just, he's atrocious. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I obviously I'll take him over Angel Hernandez, but he's, 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 he's terrible. Cocky. He's he very not good at all. And, uh, oh, he is incredibly arrogant. And I don't, I don't like that in an umpire because I like it. I like an umpire to have approachability and I like an umpire to have accountability. Um, so when I, when I see that out of a guy like CB Buckner, it, it really, really rubs me the wrong way. It makes me feel like there's not going to be a whole lot of discussion as far as, you know, getting calls right. And, you know, your thought process on a call. I, I like that having, uh, I like that being a quality of a good umpire. Yeah, I mean, another umpire I, don't I also don't see like that is Kerwin Danley. Kerwin Danley's okay, but I mean, he's kind of annoying. He's, he's an annoying pitcher, pitcher's umpire. I, I haven't really seen much of Kerwin Danley if I if I'm if my memory serves me correctly I uh, I don't know I mean I know who he is but I what I about Bill really Miller watched a whole ton of games with him Bill Miller is okay Bill terrible. Miller's he's nothing special he's okay I did mean, not like his strike zone then I was pissed with his with his strike zones oh no he was but. He, Oh, he was brutal in that respect, absolutely. And I think that there are certain umpires that just don't warrant having any authority in a in a World Series game. He seemed to be one of them. I think he seemed incredibly indecisive uh, in, in that game, and that's the worst trait and, that you can have, especially on the biggest stage. You didn't stage. like Jerry Lane too. Ah, uh, he's oh, he's all right. He's not the worst. I don't know. He's kind of mid of, middle of the pack for me, I, I guess. You know, where I've seen him have some good games. I've seen him have some bad games. He's, you know, I, I he's never blown anything for, you know, as far as the Mets are concerned in their games. So I can't really, I mean, I can't really give him too big I don't like the knock. most is Marty Foster and Mark Wegner. Start with Mark. I'm going to start with Mark Wegner. When I see, I saw two Dodger games live with Mark Wegner behind the plate. And he was so atrociously bad behind the plate in both those games I saw, which resulted in Dodgers losses. He is, he is really bad. And I, you know, I, I talked about you with this before. I most notably remember him uh, being a part of uh, being a part of a lot of White Sox games and being the, uh, the butt of the joke for uh, Ken Harrelson. And, you know, he is, he is not good at all behind the plate. And then you mentioned Marty Foster. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a play um, a few years ago when Ben Zobris was still on the Rays. Yeah, I, I, and if I you don't know what I'm about. talking about, go ahead and look it up. So yeah, when he struck, when Ben the Zobris one with Joe Nathan, out, you know what I'm talking about. Ben Zobris just was yelling the top of his lungs to Marty Foster. And I don't blame him because I have, I you know. I, I've been playing baseball for a really, really long time. I have never seen a big league umpire do something as atrocious as that behind the plate as far as calling balls and strikes. I mean, it's not even so much the fact that the ball was in the dirt. It's the fact that it was in the dirt and the ball landed on the line of the right-handed batter. Yeah, box. there was a game, it's like, game what are you when Marty at? Foster was behind the plate when Anthony Rendon struck out and then Davey Martinez was rubbing the, the edge of the plate. That was a terrible. Oh, game. I remember I that actually. Yeah, I do Anthony remember that. Anthony Rendon game. for that. Although, with speaking of the Nationals, Anthony Rendon's a tremendous player for the Nationals, and actually my dad's favorite. Yes, he is. I think he's one of the more underrated players uh, on that roster. Arguably, the most underrated player. He doesn't get talked about a lot, but he is a really, really good peer hitter. I always kind of looked at him. As their, uh, as kind of their Daniel Murphy, obviously when the Mets had Daniel Murphy, I kind of looked at him that way, just because he had such a re- you know pure sweet stroke, kind of underrated, um, you know, but he gives you really really solid Absolutely. production. He's an all star caliber player. When but he's Mark Wegner's on my list for worst umpires because the Dodgers have a losing record when Mark Wegner's behind the plate, and and like I said, I've seen him 
Um, I, I went to Dodger Live games last year with Mark Wagner behind the plate, and I was very annoyed with his strike zone. He's not – he's very, place. very inconsistent I mean, with the strike zone, and he's – it is all over the place. It's terrible, and, you know, it's it's one thing to be inconsistent. It's another thing to be whatever in the world that I is. He's the shortest he calls umpire on baseball, but – Speaking of which, our, my final NBA thought is, MLB thought is, I'm looking forward to the upcoming uh, baseball season for the Dodgers once the Super Bowl ends. But, I mean, right after we're done with the MLB segment, then we're going to move on to the NFL segment once we take a quick break. All right. My final MLB thought is that uh, I – listen, at this point, I'm going to go take out 17 bank loans and just give it to Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and say, here, go sign somewhere for the love of God. I want this to just happen already. Like, let's just get it over with, get on a team, and the rest of the free agent market can kind of start to fall into place, and we'll know where everything is. Because I think the one thing that's stalling everything right now is where in the world are Bryce Harper and Manny Machado going to go? So let's get that rolling, Absolutely. and so, then uh, we'll see so how everything else plays right out. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some football.